But what if Christians took this moment of exile, of death, of mortality, not as a way to sort of try and programmatically, I don't want to be cynical, right? Like there's all sorts of wonderful possibilities for this moment of mission. One of the possibilities of mission in this moment is to actually model before the world a different way of dying and a different uh, approach to death itself, actually to take on death so that life may come to others. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Pastor Theologian Show. This week we are continuing our conversation with CPT fellows Benj Petrulia and Chris Gansky about how they are responding in their churches in their context to the coronavirus pandemic. If you want to hear more from this conversation, I encourage you to check out the episode immediately previous to this one, but let's jump in where we left off last week. As we've been talking about just the implications of the current uh, global pandemic with coronavirus and COVID-19, one of the other realities that we haven't touched on yet um, is, uh, and to get into this, maybe I'll just share an anecdote of someone that I was talking to about this. And um, I think many people have been, you know, following the news and seeing uh, at uh, the most vulnerable populations, people with underlying conditions, people in their seventies, eighties, and nineties. Um, and for a while, the, uh, the conventional, uh, you know, insight that was coming out was people under 60 for the most part are at low risk. Um, and now, um, it's recently the past, I, I feel like, 24, 36 hours, there's been a lot more stuff talking about the the percentage of people who are 60 and under that are being hospitalized and people in their 40s and 30s and 20s who are in intensive care. Um, so um, those of us who might have felt uh, less vulnerable are starting to feel more vulnerable. And also um, many of the people in those age ranges in the 30s and 40s and even, even 20s who have children are now feeling uniquely vulnerable um, just as it relates to if something were to happen to me, what's going to happen to my children. And uh, those, I, I was talking with somebody who was talking about having a conversation with his, with his four-year-old about whether or not he was going to die. And um, that's uh, entirely unfamiliar territory for many of us, particularly in, in the West and in, uh, comfortable, um, you know, suburban or urban, uh, United States. Um, how, what, what's going on there? How, how do we process that, uh, as individuals, but then also as, uh, pastors, um, and, uh, theological leaders for our communities and our congregations. I don't know. I know Ben Bench has a lot to say here. I don't know if you want to take a first stab at this. I'll take a first stab at it, but go for it. Feel free to come in and I will just converse about it. Uh, So, I mean, I had the good fortune in the providence of God that the Lenten series that we were working through um, already was kind of focused on death and mortality. Oh, how about Um, that? (laughs) That's right. Um, 
sort of inspired in some ways by Todd Billings, a friend and a professor here at Western. Yeah, so he's um, near. He's near nearby for you guys. Yeah, he's right, just three blocks away. Um, so I've been pairing various psalms of lament with Romans eight eighteen to twenty five, uh, creation sort of groaning and aching in despair, waiting for the revelation of the children of God. Um, I've been pairing these psalms of lament with that aching of creation, the aching of our bodies, waiting for redemption, uh, as a way of helping us remember um, and to take seriously the frailty and the finiteness and the dustness, starting with Ash Wednesday, uh, of our bodies. Um, We are a society and a culture which quarantines death, uh, keeps it out of view. And there was a big part of me coming into this series uh, in Lent that thought that it was going to be quite a challenge to actually... um, it was going to take a lot of work to actually help people uh, hold death before their eyes. So I've used as yes. two epigraphs for the entire series, uh, Benedict's exhortation in his rule um, to desire eternal life with all the passion of the spirit and keep death daily before your eyes um, as two sides of the same uh, coin to desire deeply uh, with all of our passion, life with Christ and life eternal. Uh, and, in order to do so, the sort of means to doing so is to actually hold our mortality in front of us, to keep death daily before our eyes. And the other uh, text is from Luke nine fifty six. Uh, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He set his face towards his death, um, towards his own mortality. As sort of epigraphs for the series, um, and I've done it in four, in four parts, sort of facing death, learning to ache, um, learning to hope and learning to trust. And the sort of key theological point that I'm trying to sort of help live into, like help people live into, is this notion that actually facing our mortality. And so I started a few minutes ago by saying I thought it was going to be difficult to sort of hold this before people. It is no longer difficult. <laughs> it is no longer difficult. I was uh, going to say it is no longer difficult. We are sort of confronted all of a sudden, like as much as we try and quarantine death. Uh, all of a sudden it has come into the public square and we are confronted by it, um, which is not unique historically, but it is unique no. for our moment in the West. Yeah. Um, and so sort of Benedict's the part of, And it has been the case for the better part of 75 years, really, since the That's World right. War. That's right. I was even, even, even just thinking about the epidem- epidemics of the last century. Um, but to, to hold death before our eyes... To, to recognize in a frank way our mortality and our dustness uh, and to learn to hope are not doing two different things. They are two sides of the same coin because to recognize our profound frailty um, is to recognize the only one in whom we have hope. Uh, Psalm 39 is striking, verses four to seven, uh, sort of, God, teach me that I am but a breath. Teach me to number my days. And verse eight, coming right out of that. In whom is my hope? What do I wait for? My hope is in the Lord. Um, This recognition that when you actually see your mortal limits as a gift, uh, when you actually see your mortal limits, uh, that is a gift because it, it, it turns you towards the only one in whom we have hope. Yes. And I like what you said about the, the, the hope, hope and death being kind of two sides of the same coin. Because I think we are comfortable uh, generally as Christians or have been um, 
hoping in the resurrection. But of course, the other side of the co- of the coin, if you're hoping in the resurrection, is acknowledging directly and s- staring death in the face as a reality from which uh, you need you need rescue. Um, and yeah, you, I mean, you, the way you, to Easter Sunday is through Good Friday. There absolutely. is no Easter without the cross, right? Um, but, and we're so and we're we kind of get that for our for our church calendar rhythms, like oh yeah, we got to go through Good Friday and we have to be sad for a day. And then we get Easter Sunday. But um, I think what we're being faced with in the current reality is what if we are living under the specter of death and fragility and mortality um, in some sense at all times, not just yeah, uh, I mean, when a- we not just when we enter into it on Good Friday, because that's our dutiful Christian thing to do. Right. I would love to have Chris respond to this, but I mean, there's a missional component to this too, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Which is, so for Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, we carry around in our body, we carry around the death of Christ in our bodies Mm -hmm. so that the life of Christ may also reign in our mortal bodies. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I mean, so for Paul, the context is that he's running around the Mediterranean and suffering and imprisoned so that life may come to the Gentiles. But what if Christians took this moment of exile, of death, of mortality, um, not as a way to sort of try and programmatically, uh, I don't want to be cynical, right? Like there's all sorts of wonderful possibilities for this moment of mission. One of the possibilities of mission in this moment is to actually model before the world a different way of dying Mm. um, and a different uh, approach to death itself, actually to take on death um, so that life may come to others. I mean, this is, the, this is what Christians did in epidemics previous. Um, because, so I was reading uh, Rodney Stark's chapter again this morning. Um, Galen, right? Famous medical physician. Galen flees, Christians stay. Um, why? Because for Christians, death is but a prelude to life. And for Galen, life is all that there is. Um, that's profoundly challenging. Um, but what, it, what is it about this moment that could be deeply missional about entering into the death of Christ itself so that life might come to others? These are the sorts of things I'm thinking about right now. Yes, yes. You got any res- responses, Chris? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so while I don't want to normalize virtual worship, I do want to normalize death. Yeah, I, I do want to normalize uh, mortality as real. It's almost as if people and are actually. Can I interrupt just real quick here? When you said that, it made me think that I think pastors in particular already have at least some insight into this reality because pastors are the ones who are present in hospital rooms at funerals on a regular rhythm. Um, so is in, in some sense, this might just be the rest of us waking up to what pastors have, I think intuitively, um, always understood, but yeah, sorry to, sorry to interrupt there. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I mean, I always, I mean, I am very self-conscious. I don't always tell my people this, but I am, I see my job as a shepherd is to prepare them for death. Mm. Um, there's no discipleship without death. And what's happening here is people are, are, people are actually just waking up 
to what has always been true, which is that from dust you came and to dust you shall return. And, you know, this past Ash Wednesday, we had a service and two hours before our service, we had a mass shooting in Milwaukee yes. uh, where five people were killed less than two miles from our church. And people came and there was a weightiness to when people came forward and I put the sign of the cross on their forehead and I said, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. Um, that was really real. And, you know, we, we prayed a prayer of lament to begin our service. And, you know, there's, you know, why don't, you know, how much lamentation are part of our worship services right. in America? Almost none. Except, I mean, I went back, I have a, I have a file folder in my computer where I, where I have prayers of lament and I have all these prayers for around all these different shootings that happen in the United States, which just reminds, but, but violence punctuates our lives every day in the city, especially in a place like Milwaukee or in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and, but again, like Ben, Benj was saying, we've quarantined death. We haven't, we haven't like kept it from, from actually pursuing us, but we've been able to keep it from our attention, from having to look at it. And this, this just sets it before us. And I think what's going on in terms of the panic is actually not, it's, it's the fear of death. Yes. It's, it's, that's what's, that's what's so unnerving is this idea that we're actually not as in control as we thought we were. We're yeah. far more dependent and far more finite and fragile than we thought we were. This is a gift. Yes. This is a gift. This is what life is like. And we have to tell our children about this and we have mm -hmm. to tell our congregations about it. And I can tell you right now that people are very receptive to this message. Yeah. That's when the gospel of resurrection begins to hum and sing for people in their souls when they face death. But if you have a culture that is death denying, um, which our culture is, the resurrection is sort of like a shrug of the shoulders. That's something I worry about when I, I'm older or when a grandparent dies. But now it's there, right? And that's a great gift. <clears throat> yeah, Todd Billings uh, has a great line. Um, says that we've chosen death-sanitized pleasure instead of truly Christian resurrection hope in the midst of joy and lament. Mm. Um, I think that's what we've settled for, largely sort of death-sanitized pleasure. Um, and if this has the opportunity to wake us up to a more deeply Christian hope, um, which is resurrection, but not a sort of turning our eyes away from pain in the world, but a resurrection that emerges precisely out of the groaning of creation and out of death, uh, then it will be, um, it will be to the good of our witness. I mean, Chris, when you yeah. said that you had the mass, mass shooting, uh, two hours before the Ash Wednesday service, we had, um, a cancer diagnosis or cancer return, um, mm. to a beloved member of our congregation within a day or two before Ash Wednesday. And I, it was really hard to place the ashes on his forehead that mm. night. Um, mm. a sort of physical reminder of what he had just been reminded by a doctor two yeah. days earlier. Um, there was a sort of brokenness and frailty in that moment that was both, I think, really important, but also just really pastorally difficult um, to do. But it strikes me that because, because this way of thinking has infected me too, right? Like I quarantine death. I look away from it. Um, I'm uncomfortable with it. And so um, 
I don't, I don't want Christians to look away from it in this moment. Right. Um, because Jesus, and I think I, I right? have a suspicion isn't, isn't, because Jesus, isn't, because Jesus right. set his face towards Jerusalem. And I just have this sneaking suspicion um, because I sense it happening for myself already that, uh, that when you recognize sort of our frailty and you recognize just how, um, just how profoundly things that we just assumptions we made two weeks ago can sort of fall away. Um, it's, it just exposes so clearly all the ways in which we put trust in other things. Mm-hmm. Um, it exposes idols. Yeah. Um, none of which sort of economic security, health, et cetera, none of which in and of themselves are bad things. Uh, they're just not ultimate things. And so I think this, this has a way of sort of exposing in a, in a way that's just really difficult to break through for people, myself, apart from something like this. Although I would have never chosen this to be the route. It has a way of exposing all the ways in which we misplace trust. Yeah, and in, um, terms, of, um, in terms of exposing idols, something that I... Um, was exposed to me over the past couple of days, just in conversations, uh, you know, with work and at home with, with my wife and um, was the inability to plan for the future right now is mm-hmm. uniquely, um, uniquely paralyzing for someone who kind of like me and my, my wife is the same way. We're kind of future oriented. We like to think about, the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months, the next couple of years. And um, we feel unable to do that right now. Um, we're, we'll talk about something happening in a couple of months or happening this fall or happening next year. And it all just kind of feels a little weird. And um, in one of those conversations, just the, the scripture came to mind and it had just new meaning for me. When um, the Lord says, do not worry about tomorrow, um, for tomorrow will worry about itself and sufficient for today is the, is the trouble therein. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it just, um, I, in thinking about that, received that from the Lord as an exhortation to, yeah, you, you don't know what tomorrow is, so be present in today. Um, and that just had just a profound new meaning for me. Um, given, given this, um, yeah, this situation. Let me, let me just make a observation to, um, again, for the need for being pastor theologians, because what, and, and depending on the duration of this, uh, crisis in terms of how long we'll have to, you know, be quarantined or how long before we'll be able to meet normally again. I mean, this is going to shake the foundations of our ecclesiology. And I think we'll expose idols, um, idols of the church, like efficiency, uh, Mm -hmm. convenience, consumer mentalities. And I, as I've been going back and reflecting on this question of what does it mean to be uh, a pastor theologian leading today? I find myself returning to a lot of the, you know, the, the, you know, the best practices of the Christian tradition. Um, like recovering the art of letter writing as a pastor to my body, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, recovering the art of just like we have been systematic about calling everybody in the body, our elders and, and pastors and deacons, making contact. How often do we do that normally? Not very much. <laughs> you know, we, we've, we've returned to a lot of really fundamental things that I think get overshadowed. And, and I think the health of the church in this crisis is really going to be the church recovering uh, classical sources of what it means to be the church. And realizing um, that that these embodied communal things, these really local um, ways of being the church, are really what sustain us and, and move us forward. So um, that's a conversation that I think will continue to grow the yeah. longer we are. But I mean, this will expose us, right? It will expose the depth of your community. Will you have a group of people in your body who will be able to mobilize and care for the needy? Will you have? people who are willing to care for the needy in the, in, in the community. Um, so there's, there's so many different things that this brings up. Yeah. Benj, uh, as we uh, kind of start to wrap up here, maybe yeah. just uh, another, another thought or um, response from you. Yeah. So this, um, this one is actually sort of particular and, um, but just a, uh, I guess I would just say, remember your seniors in high school and college right now, if I'm speaking to pastors. Mm, um, yeah. This is a sort of profound moment, talking about death. Um, it's a unique loss. It is a unique loss for seniors in high school and seniors in college right now who are losing the end of um, their educational experience yes. um, in ways that they just could never have imagined. I mean, for high schoolers, all all 12 of their years has been building towards sort of this moment with these friends. Um, the loss of for sort of final school trips, the loss of senior sports seasons, the loss of uh, senior band and orchestra concerts, the loss of um, so many different things, the loss of prom, graduation. I mean, who knows how schools will get creative with these things, but uh, it is, I was with our high schoolers on a Zoom call on Wednesday night and it's vulnerable. You know, this is, this is a moment of deep grief, uh, for them. And so I would say, um, to pastors that recognize that death will take many forms right now. Uh, and for seniors in high school and seniors in college in particular, death is taking the form of just incredible loss around their expectations for these last few months of their senior years. Um, and then I, I also just feel compelled to say sort of, to pastors who are sort of solo pastors, only full-time staff at their church, um, that this is a moment not to compare yourself to what other churches are doing. Mm. Uh, Chris's talk about sort of recovery of traditional practices is a beautiful one because um, while all churches are not going to be able to do the sort of massive online programming that some churches are going to be able to do, all pastors can pick up the phone and call all the elderly people in their congregation of smaller congregations. And that sort of recovery of, of pastoral care and counsel, uh, even if it has to be by phone right now is, um, is a gift that we have to offer to our people as shepherds. So I suppose those two things on the sort of pastoral side, yeah. seniors and, um, and to just not, this isn't a moment, this is a moment for collaboration, profound collaboration between churches, which is another good that could come from this, but not, um, not comparison. 
Yeah, mm. that's a great point. Well, this is going to continue. Uh, these conversations will continue at least for the foreseeable future. And um, I want to thank both of both of you, Chris and Benj, for taking time uh, for this conversation. And uh, I think the the situation is going to continue to evolve. E- even while we're sitting here, I just got an email that came in that uh, the state of Illinois, where I am, is uh, going to be put on a uh, shelter in place um, going forward. So uh, it just seems by the minute, by the hour, um, things are changing and the challenges uh, are not going away for pastors and uh, hope this conversation will be helpful for some pastors out there who are listening and uh, even Christians and uh, students um, who and are Zach, working through all this. Yes. In light of the conversation, can we end with a blessing? Yes. <laughs> it seems like you, an appropriate way to it, end it, this. It, it does. Benj, do you want to, since it was your idea, you want to you take the lead sure. on Sure. Friends, pastors, um, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, as we sit in this place of the aching and the groaning of creation uh, and the aching and groaning of our mortal bodies, um, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Benj, thank you for being here. Chris, thank you for being here. Thanks. Thanks, Zach. We'll keep uh, you guys and all of the pastors in our network and our prayers going forward. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, Anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.